On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about uh, the Lord's return. When is he going to come back? And uh, will there be any kind of earthly kingdom that's established when he does? You know, there's been through the centuries, Jacob, there's been all kind of speculation about when the Lord's going to come back. People have tried to predict it and they've all missed it, of course. That's obvious. Uh, but they're still making guesses and predictions, and we want to talk about, can we know when the Lord's going to come again? Can we predict the date of it? And as you said, a follow-up to that is, when he comes back, what's he going to do? And is he, specifically, is he going to set up a kingdom here on earth and reign from his throne in Jerusalem, as, as a lot of people think he will? All right, we're going to talk about that on the program tonight. When will the Lord return? And, uh, well, we can't tell some of the things, but are there any things that we know about the Lord's return. We're going to talk about that, and we'll look forward to your comments. Don't go anywhere. We'll get started right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible, or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday may 4th 2017 we're glad that you're with us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to be with you as well. And uh, we're glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight. And we'll look forward to hearing from you. If you're listening to us live, uh, we're especially glad that you're here. Because you can comment in the chat rooms, whether they be at Facebook, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, or if you're streaming us on YouTube, or if you're watching us from our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Any of those ways that you're watching us live on our feeds tonight. Uh, check out the chat room and send your comments there. If you're on our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, sign in, and uh, you will be able to comment with other listeners there. And if you'd like, uh, we'd welcome your phone calls. And now while we're live or at any other time, 877-381-4567 is a toll-free line to use if you'd like to contact us on the phone, 877-381-4567. You can email your comments uh, to questions at collegeview.com. And that email address is the way you contact us after the program as well. If you're listening to this in the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, seeing us on iTunes or any other podcast feed that you may be using, uh, you can comment your with your comments about the program whenever you may be listening to us at questions at collegeview.com. That is also the email address you use to send us your snail mail address if you'd like to get a free bumper sticker to help us get the program. Send us your snail mail address in an email to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, you know, we got an email this week from a fellow that had studied with us on the virtual Bible study several years ago, and he's still studying and still searching the Scriptures, and that's really what this is all about. That's what it's about. We want to find the truth from the Word of God, uh, and we want to encourage Bible study, and so we were very encouraged when a, a, a fellow that we had had interaction with him from up in the Chicagoland area uh, contacted this week says he's still studying and yeah. that's what that's what we want to encourage yeah, this program is not about we're right you're wrong and uh, let us show you why this program is about the scriptures and the scriptures are right and let's all study them together and learn what the scriptures teach so that we can uh, practice that in our lives and that we can uh, be the people that God would have us to be that's the impetus but behind the program that's our goal and if it's your goal as well we're glad that you're here and we look forward to studying with you this week and hopefully in the weeks to come. Many of our listeners are longtime listeners. Jeff is in the chat room. Jeff is a longtime listener and a participator in the program. And uh, he has sent us an email tonight. And uh, look forward to hearing from him and from others uh, as we go along in the program. Kyle is behind the board tonight. Kyle, welcome to the program. It's uh, great to be here. Everything looking green there? Oh, you're looking good. All right. Thanks for being here, Kyle. We're streaming on our Facebook page, too, Jacob, and I see Sandra and Tina watching here in Columbia, Tennessee. So uh, give us a shout-out wherever you're watching from. Share it with your Facebook friends and help us get the word out there. The study is better the more people that we have here and the more people that talk that keep uh, take away some time from us because it's better when our listeners talk and we listen. Yeah. All right. Tonight. So our topic tonight is about the Lord's return and the possibility of a millennial kingdom here on earth. 
that we want to talk about. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out some questions, things we want to try to discuss in our study tonight. If you're not on our update list, we always tell you get on our list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just tell us, put me on the list, and we'll do that. To our update list earlier today, we sent out these questions. Is it possible to successfully predict when the Lord will return? Yes. Does Matthew 24 give signs that will help people know when the Lord is coming? Okay. What do we know for certain about how and why the Lord will return? Okay. And then finally, about the theory of premillennialism. And if you're not familiar with that word, we'll try to explain it a little later. But concerning that idea that Jesus will return and set up a kingdom on earth, reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. In regards to that, in connection with that, how does the rapture factor into that idea? What is the tribulation? Why would Jesus need? What's the argument that says Jesus needs to come back and set up an earthly kingdom? And then finally, is it going to happen? Is Jesus going to reign for a thousand years on earth? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Let's get right into it tonight and ask the question, is it possible to predict when the Lord will return to that question? Ramona in Texas and says, quite simply, no, he will come as a thief in the night. I think that's right. Um, and that's, and of course, that's an expression that's used in the scriptures, Jacob. Yes. In Second Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Second Peter three verse ten. All right. It goes on um, uh, and says that we should be uh, that we shouldn't. Uh, it won't be like a thief for us because well we've We're been not, warned. Yeah. Uh, uh, in First Thessalonians five verse two, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as a tr- as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Uh, and so uh, this expression, as a thief in the night, we're going to see that Jesus used that expression um, in Matthew chapter 24 as well. But think about that. The, just from a purely logical, common sense point of view, the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. How does a thief come? Yeah. Does he call you up on the phone and say, "Okay, and I'm going to be there at 11:38. Mark your mark your watch your watch because you'll know here's the exact time I'm coming." Um, by the way, have all your valuables out on the dining room table. Maybe put them in in uh, on yeah. t- on a bed sheet or in pillowcases so I can snatch Go them to up. Sleep, yeah. But uh, a thief does not tell. The element of surprise is critical to a thief's success in burglary. But Jesus said his coming is going to be like that in the sense that there won't be any advance sign, notice, or warning. All right. Uh, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In Matthew 24, verse 43, Jesus builds on this idea of the thief in the night. Maybe a different context, a different reference to his coming, but in 24, verse 43, but know this, if the good men of the house had known in which hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. So the yeah. idea, Jesus understands that when a thief comes, you don't have warning, so you want to be prepared all the time. Exactly right. Um, so uh, I guess we should probably explain this and make sure that everybody understands. We, we believe the Lord's coming again. We, we believe that emphatically. And, of course, that was really an important part of, of what the inspired prophets and teachers um, proclaimed in the first century. Jesus himself said, Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh, Luke twelve forty. Peter said, God shall send Jesus Christ whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things, Acts 3, verse 20. Paul said, from heaven we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3, 20. John said, Jesus shall appear, we shall be like him, First John 3, verse 2. So there's no doubt about it that Jesus is coming again. The question is, would we be able to know or be able to predict when he would come, I've got a list somewhere, and I didn't bring it with me. I've got a list somewhere of just a number of the predictions that have been made just in in recent times. I think men have been predicting that all through the centuries. In fact, Paul suggested in Second Thessalonians that some people had been trying to make that prediction even back there in the first century. Um, and that real quick. And... Um, Second Thessalonians, yep. uh, chapter two, um, 
Paul says, uh, verse 1, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us that the day of the Lord is at hand. Apparently, some people had been uh, maybe circulating a forged document in the name of the Apostle Paul, suggesting that he had said Jesus was coming back soon. And, and Paul here disavows that he had said that. And then, of course, had repeated to them earlier, it's going to be as a thief in the night. No one will know. But I, I think what that suggests to us is that even from first century times, people have been trying to predict or guess when the Lord will come. And it's and they've all failed. They've just all fallen flat on their face. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you participate tonight. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, has commented again tonight. Kent, thank you for your email. says, it is not possible to successfully predict the return of Christ. He references Matthew 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36 uh, says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Uh, Jeff references the same verse. Uh, he says, uh, Jeff is in the chat room tonight. He's in an email. He says, no, no one can successfully predict the Lord's return. The Lord said as much in Matthew 24, 36. And uh, Paul is in Des Moines, Washington tonight. And he has commented via email. Paul, thank you for your email. He says, no, and he references Matthew 24, verse 36. Again, uh, this verse seems to be to mark a transition in Matthew 24 from Jesus speaking of the coming of destruction of Jerusalem, which ends in verse 34. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Thus he changes from the coming judgment in that generation to the day when he will come again. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. Second Peter three ten, which are verses 11. we looked at just earlier, thief in the night verses. Thanks for commenting uh, tonight, Paul. Yeah, hang on to that comments from Paul because we wanted to talk about some of that misunderstanding from Matthew twenty four here in a minute. A couple more shout outs on Facebook. Kent's watching in Jackson, Tennessee. Actually, Meaden, Tennessee. I think. Uh, Nikki's in Spring Hill. Mike is in Cullioca. So we got several people Lots watching. Lots of folks in Tennessee, and uh, we have Philip in West Virginia. In the chat room at the virtualbiblestudy.com as well as Arthur Haynes in Cullioca, Tennessee. So thanks to all for signing in tonight. If you haven't signed in, I take a minute and sign in there and let us know you're out there. All right. So uh, I think all of our respondents have agreed that we can't successfully predict. We cannot successfully predict when the Lord will return. What about this Matthew 24 thing? Paul in his email uh, suggested that some people really mess up Matthew 24 and try to suggest that Jesus was giving signs that would precede his coming. Uh, If you go to Matthew 24 and you you start the context, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they're at the temple grounds in Jerusalem. Jesus said this is all going to be destroyed. Well, in verse 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, not everybody agrees with this way of viewing the question they ask, but I, to me it makes the most sense. When is this going to happen? When's the end of the world going to be? Because they had such confidence, I think, in the temple in Jerusalem that their opinion was when the temple's destroyed, that's going to be the end of all things. When, and so they asked. I think they, I think they thought they were asking effectively one question. Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I think they thought that they were asking about one event, and the one event would be the end of the world, this temple will be destroyed, and all of that. What they actually didn't know was that they were asking about two different times. The temple was going to be destroyed. Jesus is going to go on and predict the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Roman armies, which was not that far off, just um, maybe less than 40 years away. Uh, and the temple was going to be destroyed. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. when the Roman armies under General Titus came, took the city, besieged the city, took it, and leveled it and destroyed the temple. Well, uh, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, see this temple grounds? All this is going to be destroyed. He wasn't talking about the end of the world. He was talking about the judgment that God was going to send upon the Jews and Jerusalem. And in regards to that, 
coming judgment, which was not far away. It was within a few decades of, of happening. Jesus went on to give signs that would lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 5, he said there would be religious deceivers and false Christ. Verse 6, he said there would be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, there would be famines, pestilences, earthquakes. Well, you know, people see those sort of things happening today, wars, rumors of war, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and they think, well, maybe that's what Jesus was talking about. No, all of this he was talking about would happen, we'll see here in a minute, all of this would be a run-up or or lead into the destruction of Jerusalem in 780. Do you think that he's saying that they, these are going to be any times that are different? Is he basically going to say there's going to be these these things going on? But I mean, basically, people are going to look for things. Is the, are these wars and rumors of wars and the earthquakes and pestilence and famine? Are they were they abnormal? Or were they just the normal course of things that people might point to? I think they were abnormal to the extent that the the people, the believers in Jesus, saw what was happening and fled the city. Historians tell us that the Christians had abandoned Jerusalem before the Roman armies besieged it because they took the instruction of Jesus, saw what was coming. Right. So this was noticeable. It wasn't just normal. It wasn't normal Wars amount of earthquakes. Wars. It wasn't normal amount of okay. famine. This was this was to such an extent that the Christians who knew what Jesus had predicted were aware and actually fled from Jerusalem. Okay. He went on to say in verse nine, Christians would be persecuted. Verse ten, many would would leave the faith. Verse eleven, false prophets would come. But the key verse here is verse thirty four. All of those signs he mentions, all of those signs, and and it gets pretty figurative as it goes on a lot of symbolic language being used but in verse 34 jesus said this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled so everything that jesus had talked about was fulfilled within the generation well we know that that was true because the destruction of jerusalem came less than 40 years after jesus spoke these words and he said this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled and so anybody who would go to Matthew 24 and say, oh, man, there's there's lots of wars. And and we've been hearing about earthquakes. I don't know that there are any more earthquakes today than there ever were, but we certainly have better recording and reporting uh, capability. And, and also about wars as well. Wars, famines, yeah. earthquakes, pestilences. Well, certainly those things still happen. But that, it's not what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, because Jesus, what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24 all happened in the lifetime of those people. It's done. Yeah. All right. So, uh, again, our question was, does Matthew 24 give any signs that will ho? And the answer is absolutely not. We are overdue for a break. When we get back, we'll get our listeners' comments on that subject. And we'd love to hear from you. Maybe you disagree. We especially want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com are in one of the many chat rooms tonight. Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. What we need is neither negative thinking nor positive thinking, but realistic thinking. Thinking characterized by enough pessimism to trigger concern, enough optimism to provide hope. Blessed is the person who is too busy to worry in the daytime and too sleepy to worry at night. Worry is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. It is impossible for a man to begin to learn what he thinks he already knows. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Lord's return and will there be an earthly kingdom set up when he does return? We asked the question, does Matthew 24 give signs that will help people know when the Lord is coming? To that, Ramona says, 
Uh, many people have used this chapter to forecast the coming, such as Hal Lindsey, writer of the late great planet Earth. But Jesus was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, which did happen. The signs which the Lord mentioned are found in Matthew 24, 4-14. through 14. Every single one of them was fulfilled within the 40-year span between the time of the Lord's discourse and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. I why, think Ramona's right on. And she adds parenthetically, why don't people see this? I don't know either, Ramona. It's pretty amazing to me that because it's it is it just fits. It fits exactly. All right, Ramona is on the same wavelength as you are uh, tonight, as well as Paul. He says uh, no. He quotes uh, Jesus here. What will be the sign of your coming? In verses one through two, Jesus was discussing when the buildings of the temple would be destroyed. Many confuse this with the end of the world when Jesus will come again. Clearly, he speaks of such uh, uh, in, in in much of verses four and following. Uh, events shortly afterward, not the far distant future. Verse 34 includes all from verse 4 through 34 is happening in that generation. Right, right, exactly right. Verse 34 is the key verse there. Compare verse 34 with Matthew 23, 36, which everyone agrees is referring to the first century. Some are confused by the things like verses uh, 27 and 30 to the coming of the Son of Man, which they assume refers to his second coming. It is best to interpret these in light of verse 34. Jesus did not did promise to come with the clouds of heaven, Matthew twenty six sixty four, and a coming in judgment. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Paul, for your comments tonight. Yeah. When Jesus said, for instance, in other places like the one that Paul mentions, chapter 23, verse 36, all these things shall come upon this generation. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, when he says that, you've got to take him at his word. What the generation is, yeah. Uh, Jeff says, no, the sign spoken of in Matthew 24 to show when the Jewish temple would be destroyed. When the Lord returns, we're all just going to be going about our usual business, and bang, there he is in the clouds with the trump of God uh, bellowing. Talk about a big bang, he says. Thank yeah. you for that, Jeff. And Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says Matthew 24 does not give signs regarding the final coming of Christ. If Matthew 24 did provide such signs, uh, such would contradict verse 36. Premillennialism incorrectly applies the signs of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 to the second coming of Christ. Matthew twenty four thirty four is a transitional verse in the chapter that makes a transition of the days of the destruction of Jerusalem to the day of the final coming of Christ. Thank yeah. you, Kent, for that comment. I think that's good. Look at that. If you haven't looked at that before in Matthew 24, look how he says days, 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 days. And then in verse 36, it changes to the day. That day, yeah. Right. That day. Okay. Uh, uh, Philip uh, signs into the chat room and says three words, context, 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 and that is critical in this discussion. Yeah. So don't don't let anybody misuse Matthew 24. Uh, it's clearly talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, all those signs that he mentions don't have anything to do with the end of time. And just keep remembering the expression that Jesus used, Peter used, Paul used, the Lord's coming will be as a thief in the night. It can't be predicted, and there's not going to be any signs. All right. So what Jesus said is watch, therefore watch and be ready. All right. Let us know your thoughts, 877-381-4567. I think there's curiosity about the coming of the Lord, Jacob, and we'll spend just a few minutes talking about what what do we know. We don't know the time. Can't predict the time. But we do know some aspects of what it will be like when it happens. Uh, Jeff said it was going to be bang, and there he is. Maybe that's right. Uh, and he mentions the trump of the Lord. It is going. To, I think it's going to be rather instantaneous. But it, uh, we do know some things. First of all, it will be visible. Yes. When Jesus ascended up to heaven in yes. Acts chapter one, at verse ten, as the apostles looked steadfastly toward heaven while he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in the manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. They saw him go up. They, he said, he'll be visible when he comes again. And I can just imagine those apostles standing there, mouths open. Yeah. Uh, and, and and just an amazement. And I imagine that'll be the same look on people's face today. I think, I think I mean, so, when too. When he comes again. Yeah. I think so, too. All right. So we're going to see it. We're going to hear it. It won't be missed. You know, um, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses had, were one of the people who made a prediction that the Lord was going to come again. They initially predicted he was going to come in 1912. Of course, he didn't come. They modified it to say 1914. He didn't come. And, but, and then, since they missed their prediction so badly, they changed their doctrine. They said, well, he actually did come. But most people didn't see him. He came, but he was only visible to those who had what they call the eye of faith. 
he came, but no one, no one, only certain, only a few people knew he came, but it was people were unaware. Well, no, we already said when he comes, we're going to. He's going to be visible. When he comes, we're going to hear it, too. So the eye of faith would also have to have an ear of faith. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as Jeff mentioned about the trump of the Lord, in First Thessalonians 4, verse 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and, the trump, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise, rise first. I don't know exactly what that will sound like. I don't know at all what that will sound like. The voice of the archangel? I don't know. And the trump of God? I don't know. But I'll tell you, I don't think you'll miss it. No. I don't think it'll be misunderstandable. Yes. He's going to come in the clouds, First Thessalonians 4.17. We which are alive shall, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So he's going to, we're going to see him. We're going to hear him. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come with his angels. Matthew 16.27. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with, with his angels. And then shall he reward every man according to their works. And, and so, you know, there, there's just that's that doesn't answer all our questions, I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination. But we're going to see him. We're going to hear him. He's going to be in the clouds. The angels will be with him. It's going to be something like it, it, it will be it will be the likes of which no one has ever seen or experienced before. It will not. You will not mistake it. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Email questions at collegeu dot com to the question of how he will come tonight. Uh, Paul in Washington State. Uh, says his coming will be visible, every eye will see him, and audible with a shout and trump of God. Also unexpected as a thief in the night. Okay, so, all that's exactly thank, right. Thank you for that, Paul. And Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, uh, says Acts 1, verses 10 through 11, informs us how Christ will return. Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, and Second Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 10, inform us as to why he will return. We'll get to that why yeah, here yeah. after our break. And uh, Jeff in uh, the uh, in his email says uh, C number two for how as okay so he says uh, bang basically uh, he refers yeah to the, the unrighteous will be sent to eternal damnation in hell uh, with the devil and the righteous to life everlasting in heaven with the Lord okay let's right. grab a break Jay when we come back let's talk about why we we know somewhat about how he's coming we don't know when we know a little bit about how. We definitely know about why he's coming. Let's talk about that when we come back. And to the how question, you know, some would say that he's going to be just sheer terror when the Lord returns, and it will be for some, but certainly won't be a terror-filled event for many in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. It's going to be a joyous time for many. And, those who are ready. Uh, and certainly uh, those who are ready should be looking forward to that and not dreading that day of the Lord, which will come as a thief in the night. Got another shout-out from a listener, Ramona, who sent us an email today. Thanks, Ramona. Ramona. Thanks. She's watching down in Texas, I think. Thank, yes, thank you, Ramona, for listening tonight and uh, for your comments. We're going to break. Get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Someone who is about to move into a new community happened to mention that they were giving consideration to attending a particular congregation in that area. Some brethren warned them, saying, don't go there. They're too conservative. What's meant by such an accusation anyway? Is it that the brethren at that congregation have begun to teach things that are not found in the Bible? Are they binding certain traditions that are not in the Word of God? Are they insisting that others follow their own personal opinions in areas where they cannot find specific scriptural authority? If so, those brethren aren't really conservative at all. They are not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, Second John 9. In a sense, they're actually liberal in their approach because they have ceased to produce book, chapter, and verse for their practices. Let their errors be fully exposed, and let brethren be rightly warned about attending such a congregation. But in reality, it is far more likely that the church that was described as, quote, too conservative is actually a congregation that stresses strict adherence to biblical authority. They probably insist that folks do Bible things in Bible ways. There's most likely a strong emphasis on personal purity and morality. Constant reference is probably made to the Bible and its teachings, and members are encouraged to come out from among them and be ye separate, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. And while the positive feel-good aspects of Christianity are no doubt taught, the so-called negative themes, the warnings of the scripture, are also included. 
False doctrines and false teachers are sometimes by necessity called by name, just as in the first century, 1 Timothy 1, beginning verse 18. Such an approach is not popular in the world today. Therefore, some dismiss a congregation like this with the charge that they are, quote, too conservative. What we're saying is that this accusation most often comes from weak, compromising Christians who themselves refuse to take a stand for the truth. It is really impossible to be too conservative. The moment a church violates scriptural authority by either failing to uphold and practice the truth or by binding what God has not bound, they have become liberal in God's eyes. Instead of throwing out prejudicial labels, give the creation is violating scriptural authority, Colossians 3, verse 17, and be ready to prove your allegations. Otherwise, we suggest you keep your opinions to yourself. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We also remind you the website you can go to to find out more about us is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we will remind you that we'd like to hear from you with your questions or comments. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you agree. Questions at collegeview.com. And uh, if you don't have any comments that you'd like to share, just send us an email. Let us know you're out there. Questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you on the program. As we talk about uh, the Lord's return, and will he set up a millennial kingdom here on earth when he does return? We'll get to that as we go along we later We need to on, hurry so we can get to that. Yeah. But we, we talked about, we spent some time talking about when's the Lord coming. Answer, don't know. We talked about how is he going to come. We know somewhat about that. We're given a little information, but it's still, there's still a lot, you know, it's kind of, oh, I can't quite imagine it. I can't quite imagine what it'll be like. I don't think can, we're necessarily in. What in, does the trump of the Lord sound like? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it'll be, you know, incredible, but I don't, I've never heard it before. Nobody's ever heard that before. What's the shout of the archangel? I don't know. But we know all those things will accompany his coming. So we don't know the time. We know a little bit about how, but we know absolutely about why he's coming. And let me, let me run through a list of what the scriptures say concerning why he's coming. He's going to raise the dead. John 5, verse 28, beginning. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to judge all men. Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Raise the dead, judge all men, destroy the world. This is when the world is going to be destroyed. Not back there when the Romans were tearing down the temple, but when the Lord comes in his final coming, the world will be destroyed. Second Peter three ten, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall melt excuse me, the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And there goes the uh, the, the idea of someone might miss it. You're not gonna miss this. Uh, even the whole physical universe is going to be destroyed. Yeah. And then as was already suggested by our uh Listeners, <coughs> he's going to reward the righteous. He's going to condemn the wicked. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, beginning, the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit on the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So, you know, that's of, of all the talk about the Lord's return, this is the part that matters. Why yeah. is he coming? And if I understand why he's coming, then it only makes sense that I'd be prepared for that whenever it happens. You know, Jesus said, uh, you know, watch, be ready. Um, uh, Matthew t- uh, twenty four forty two. watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Uh, verse 44, therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Be ready. We know why he's coming. Be ready. Stay ready so that you be prepared when he does come, whenever that may be. All right. Uh, Paul in Washington State said uh, to the why question, why is he coming to raise the dead, judge the world by his word, 
referencing John 5, 28 through 29, John 12, verse 48, and Acts 17, verse 31, which says, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So we have assurance that this will happen by the fact that uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Thank you for those comments tonight, Paul. And um, uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, and Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, inform us as to why he will return. Good comments tonight. Hey, hey, shout out from Joel watching in Chapel Hill on Facebook. All right. Uh, let us know if you're out there and you haven't commented yet. Uh, let us know where you are listening. We'd love to hear from you on the program. All right. All right. Okay, we've so got... We've so, so we've talked about his coming. Uh, and, and really an important Bible doctrine. I, I, we would not want to downplay the importance of the doctrine that Jesus is coming again. Very important, ultimately important. And so the scriptures give us all the information we need about it. We don't need to spend time guessing or speculating uh, beyond what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures give us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, so we've got everything we need to know. We're not lacking any essential information that the Lord hasn't supplied. And the main thrust of that is be ready whenever it might happen. Be ready and don't dread it. The scriptures yeah. over and over again tell us that. Second Peter chapter 3, just after we read about the, the scriptures, the earth being dissolved and the, and the elements passing, uh, passing away, in verse 12... Peter says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. We're to look for and hasten. We're looking. We ought to have the attitude that I hope it's today. Yeah. I hope it's before the sun goes down. Yeah. Uh, and then in Revelation. And, but you know, in regards to that, I think sometimes it's been suggested that some Christians are so attached to this world and so bound up in the pursuit of earthly things that they might be disappointed. If they, oh, oh, no, not yet. I'm oh, we not were ready. going on vacation next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, well, that and there may be just some kind of fear. We don't need to have any fear in this. In John, in Revelation 21, or 22, verse 20, Jesus says, Surely I am coming quickly. And John answers that, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. John was hastening for and looking for that day and wanted yeah. it to come quickly. And we ought to have the same attitude in our lives. Yeah. All right. All right, now let's move on to this last question, which is, uh, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology there, Jacob. Sometimes I call I call these kind of questions more technical in nature, and I don't know if people understand what I mean. It's sort of a contrived and somewhat confusing doctrine called premillennialism. Yeah. Now, I think everybody recognizes the word millennia or millennium in that, and a millennia is a thousand years, a period of a thousand years. So the theory of premillennialism has something to do with a thousand years. Premillennialism. Well, the idea of premillennialism is that the Lord is going to come back and he'll have his thousand year reign before the final judgment. There is a doctrine called postmillennialism. That final judgment will happen, and then the millennium will happen here on earth. The millennial reign will happen, but the judgment will happen, and then the millennium will come after. That's post-millennium. I don't know very many people believe that. There have been some in history, but but the vast majority of religious folks these days believe in premillennialism, although they may not be too familiar with the word. And the idea of premillennialism is there's going to Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up this earthly kingdom. A thousand, he'll reign for a thousand years on David's throne, restored in the city of Jerusalem, and years will be the final judgment. Premillennialism. It's interesting. Now, I was looking at uh, at Wikipedia today, and obviously you don't want to do a lot. Well, of, that's uh, the ultimate authority. Uh, I mean, you don't want to base your opinions on what you read there. It's something serious is uh, what the Bible teaches. But it is interesting. Whoever wrote this article says. This period in the mid-19th century in which premillennialism was revived coincided with an approach to biblical study that divorced eschatological textual interpretation 
textual studies about prophecies, it divorced that from a historic context. For example, an ahistoric hermeneutic where revelations being written to specific churches suffering persecution in a historic context around the fall of the temple in 70 AD was of no consequence to the interpretation. Likewise, in interpreting Daniel or the writings of Paul, uh, so what they did was they just just took the, the 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 prophecies out of context yeah. historically. Whoever wrote that understood that those messages, for instance, the Book of Revelation, Revelation, was written to real people in the first century suffering real persecutions, and they try to apply it to our day and time. Yeah, and that's and that's what they do, and that's how they get way off track. Right, uh, and so. Um, that that that's that that will show us. We'll see as we go along that that is the case where people are taking these prophetic passages out of context and applying them in the way that they'd like to apply yeah. them. Okay. Let me see if I can sort of describe a snapshot picture of the theory of premillennialism. Premillennialism suggests that Jesus, when Jesus came to Earth, he actually had intended to set up a kingdom on Earth that he wanted to be a king, that he desired to be a king. Uh, Actually, it's argued the Lord had made certain promises to the Jews that he hadn't fulfilled yet, specifically some land promises that had never been land promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants that had never been fully fulfilled. And Jesus intended to set up a kingdom when he came, and all of that would be fulfilled in him at that time. The only problem being the Jewish leadership rejected Jesus. And instead of coronating him as king, they crucified him as a criminal. Thwarting his plan. Yeah, man, a big, I mean, they threw a wrench into the plans of Jesus. Never saw that one coming. Yeah, God God couldn't anticipate that. Yeah. And and so his plan failed initially. And, And therefore... He's going to have to come again, and until he does, he set up the church to sort of hold place in time until he can come back successfully. But he's coming. Now, they argue that at some point in the future, most of them think in the very near future, there's going to be a rapture. Uh, The rapture is an idea not taught in scriptures, but the idea is that the Righteous people are just going to be caught away instantaneously. They're just going to disappear from the earth. Uh, uh, I, I always make reference to an, an old bumper stick that used to be around. In case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. And it sort of was uh, suggesting the, the, that the person who in the car believed in the rapture, but also sort of a warning because when the rapture happens, this car is just going to go careening out of control because it's not going to have a driver. The driver will just disappear. All the righteous will just suddenly mysteriously disappear from the earth they're going to go to be with the lord what's left on the earth is trouble and you can imagine if the righteous people are all taken away and only the bad people are left on earth the earth is going to go through a period of intense tribulation a period of tribulation seven years seven years of terrible tribulation there were in recent years a series of books and movies made on the book's called the Left Behind series. And the Left Behind series talks about that idea of the rapture, the righteous taken, uh, what's left on earth, the left behind in terrible tribulation. At the end of the seven years of tribulation on earth, the Lord is going to come. And he's going to come with with his raptured saints. He's going to come with the holy angels. He's going to meet all the forces of evil in the great battle of Armageddon, which is only brief, there's only a, a brief mentioned Armageddon in the book of Revelation, and it doesn't have anything to do with this. Yeah. But they've seized upon that, say there's going to be a great battle of Armageddon. Jesus and his forces will fight all the forces of evil. Jesus will win this time. He will be uh, coronated as king. He will set upon David's throne restored in the city of Jerusalem and he will reign for a thousand years over a peaceful kingdom here on earth. A thousand years he'll reign. And at the end of the thousand years will be final judgment. The righteous will go to heaven. The wicked will go to, go to hell. That's the theory of premillennialism. Most of it coming from Revelation 20? Well, the, Revelation 20 is the only place that even You'll mentions get the millennial a thousand years. It, yeah, yeah read, read the first four verses of that. He said, uh, there, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, Revelation 20, verse 1 having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, 
that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they set upon on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worked worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right. Now, as you've read that passage, Jacob, I don't. If people were listening carefully, that passage just screams out that it's a figurative passage, not a literal one. Right. It starts out in verse one that the angel came with the key to the bottomless pit. Well, a bottomless pit, could there literally be a bottomless pit? Well, no, that's impossible. You can dig a very deep hole, but no matter, no matter how deep you dig it, there's going to be a bottom to it. Yeah. This was a bottomless pit. That has to be figurative, not literal. Mm-hmm. A great chain that was, the angel had a great chain that he used to bind up Satan. Is there a physical, literal chain that you could use to chain and bind up Satan? No, Satan's a spirit being. He's not a physical being. He's a spirit being. You can't cha- you can't chain up a spirit being with a physical chain. It's obviously figurative, right? It's got to be. All right. Now, in that in that sense, the the context of this is not literal but figurative. But people are trying to force this thousand year period take, to to land on that thousand years and say that's literal when everything around it is screaming out that it's talking figuratively. Okay. A thousand years just means a long time. The Lord was going to reign for a long time. Satan would be limited. He would be bound or limited in a way. And the Lord would reign for a long time. I think one of the interesting questions, and I've asked premillennialists before they don't have a good answer, who's going to reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom? Well, they say all the righteous. But in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says only those who were beheaded for the witness of Christ will reign with Jesus. So it won't be every Christian. It won't even be every martyred Christian. It'll only be martyrs who were specifically martyred by having their heads cut off that will reign with Jesus. They don't believe that. Premillennialists don't believe that. But that's what their text, their their principal proof text claims and if you're going to believe it, you're going to have to believe it all, and you'd have to take that. All right, so there are lots of things wrong with this doctrine. When we get back from our last break, we'll go through them quickly and talk about uh, what are some of the problems with this idea. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking trends on the virtual Bible study. Data from the Southern Baptist Convention indicates that they are currently losing 70 to almost 90% of their youth after their freshman year in college. 70% of teenagers involved in church youth groups stop attending church within two years of their high school graduation. 
That comes from remarks to the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee by T.C. Pinckney. The Word of God says in 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, uh, talking about Christ's return and uh, will he set up an earthly kingdom. Got Linda watching on Facebook. I'm not sure where Linda is. Sandra makes a comment in, uh, on the Facebook page, and it's in response to the idea that Jesus came to establish a kingdom, but the Jews rejected him and crucified him. She said, did he not intend to die? How would his blood save us from our sins if he didn't die? I think that's exactly right. Jesus predicted his own death. It wasn't like it they, it surprised him that they rejected him and crucified him. He he personally predicted that. Of course, also so had the prophets even in the Old Testament. Right, right. And it's ironic that the Jews were looking for that earthly kingdom, which Christ wasn't here to establish. So it just it, the, the the doctrine doesn't uh, doesn't fly with what we see in the life of Christ. Thank you for that comment, Sandra. All right, let's let's go through this real quickly, and then we got to get to our uh, email respondents, and we're almost out of time. You know the argument that Jesus needs to set up a kingdom on earth because there were promises made to the Jews that were never fulfilled in the Old Testament. That's not true. Joshua 21, verse 43, The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. I don't know how, I don't know how plainer that could be stated. Uh, yeah, so still people today still think there's something special about Israel that we've got to side with Israel. Yeah, that, uh, that, that that they're still God's chosen people. Yeah, they were, they they, were, they crucified and, 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 God's and son. And the argument is, he's this millennial kingdom has got to come so that he can finish doing what he planned to do for them. Well, he did it all. Yeah, everything was fulfilled. Yeah. Um, a, a second argument is that Jesus planned to set up this physical kingdom on earth when he came the first time, and that's not true either. You remember what Jesus said to Pilate, John 18, verse 36? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus said, and I think Jesus could have done that, by the way. Jesus could have raised an army. He was very, very popular with the common people. It was only the Jewish leadership that rejected him and caused him to be crucified. Just days before his crucifixion, he was welcomed into the city of Jerusalem by the masses of people who took off their coats, took branches out of trees and laid them on the on the pathways. That was the kind of reception you would give to a, a, a returning army, a general leading a victorious army back from battle. The common people loved Jesus. It was only the Jewish leadership that rejected him and had him crucified. And I think if Jesus wanted to, he could have he could have massed an army, certainly to save his own life, but probably to make himself king if he wanted to be. Um, in fact, there had even been an effort in John chapter 6. There was an effort to make Jesus king, and he wouldn't let it happen. John 6, verse 15, Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, and he departed again to the mountain himself alone. Jesus specifically avoided a, an attempt that he perceived they would try to make him king. He didn't want that. He didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. Okay. All right. Uh, it's argued that because the Jews rejected him, Jesus had to set up the the church as sort of an intermediate stopgap measure. Uh, that's false. Ephesians three ten eleven says the church is according to the eternal purpose of God. Okay. Uh, and it was the kingdom that God planned to establish. And it actually was the kingdom. In other words, a lot of people want to divide the idea of the church and the kingdom, that they're separate entities. There's the church and then there's the kingdom. They're not the same thing. The church and the kingdom are actually one and the same. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, God delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Notice, it already had happened. Paul in the first century said Christians had been translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
well, if the kingdom hasn't come yet, how were they already in it? Right. Uh, Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said, Verily I say to you, there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom came in that first century. The kingdom is the church. The kingdom came. That was the kingdom Jesus came to establish. And Philip in the chat room references Jesus where he said, I will build my church. And then, and then the idea that Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. Jesus actually already is reigning. And when Peter preached on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he quoted from David, Acts 2, beginning verse 29, David being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. This Jesus hath God raised up. Whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and so forth. Peter said in Acts 2 that Jesus was reigning already. It's not something still we're waiting for in the future. And uh, no indication he'll ever set foot on earth again, let alone set up a kingdom and set on a throne here. Yeah, First Thessalonians four seventeen. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. No indication that he's coming again. He's coming in the clouds. But as to actually putting foot on earth, there's no indication that he'll even do that, much less establish an earthly kingdom. All right. Quickly to our listeners' responses tonight, as you asked for definitions of what the rapture is, Jeff says those who teach premillennialism believe that the Lord will essentially have a silent coming where he takes all the righteous to heaven and leaves everyone else uh, remaining on the earth to for a certain amount of time called the tribulation. Kent says the rapture is the alleged secret snatching away of the church in the first stage of the final coming of Christ. And Paul says it is the so-called secret removal of the righteous for seven years while the unbelievers are left here on the earth. That's right. And and what's so important is none of that's in the New Testament. That's no. just not there. No, that second that first Thessalonians four verse seventeen is the closest you can get to it uh, uh, for a rapture. And in Revelation chapter one verse nine, John he said, John, I John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John said he was already in the kingdom, but he said he was also in the tribulation already. Already. Not something off in the future. All right. And uh, and so what, to the definition of what people call the tribulation, Jeff says, a time after the rapture where those remaining on earth basically make their final decision on whose side they're on, God's or Satan's. During this time, God, according to their erroneous literal tr- interpretations of relation and a few other passage, passages, will send various plagues across the earth to basically weed out the remaining righteous and unrighteous he supposedly will allow the Antichrist to rise to power over the planet before returning and sending the remaining unrighteous, including the said Antichrist, to hell. The Lord will then set up a physical kingdom in, G- in Jerusalem where all the remaining righteous will live in peace and pr- a posterity for uh, what a thousand theory. years. What, what a contrived theory they've come up with. To heaven. I, th- I think Jeff's right on. And uh, Kent says the alleged tribulation period is defined as the second half of the three and a half or the three and one half period of years that come upon those who are left behind after the rapture, where all types of misery is unleashed upon those who believe on Christ. All of this horrendous suffering is brought about by the Antichrist. These late term post rapture believers have refused to receive the mark of the beast, the number 666, on their physical bodies. All right, Lots we're just out we of time. On yeah, we're, yeah. We got both, all three of these guys, Jeff and Kent and Paul. Uh, wrote good summaries, sort of along the lines of what we already discussed, but we're out of time, Jacob. We're not going to be able to get all of that, but thank you guys for your good work Finally, on that. Finally, Paul, will, do they question, will Jesus reign on earth for a thousand years? Revelation 20, 44 through 9 is the favorite passage of premillennialist. It says nothing of a reign here on earth, but that those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus would live and reign with him. Colossians 1, 13, Hebrews 12, 28 also speak of Jesus' kingdom as spiritual in nature. Exactly right. We believe it right. is. I think we're all on the same page there, although, sadly, most of the religious most. world is not. All right. Uh, and it's important that we study the Bible and uh, carefully look at what it says and not what some popular author or preacher says, but what the Scriptures actually teach and uh, and not be carried away by any kinds of trends among folks uh, in the world. 
Exactly. All right. Uh, good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Kyle, thanks uh, for being here. I haven't heard from you all night, but appreciate your help. That was a good study. Thank you for having me. Thank you for helping us get it on the air. And thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the Internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.